Welcome to Overlooked, a podcast by Tunuka Media. My name is Yemi, and I'll be your host for the show. In this podcast, I introduce you to potentially overlooked news stories from around the world. This will include the good, the bad, and sometimes the absolutely hilarious. To keep you informed, I pick up stories that may have been missed by your home news network. The Overlooked podcast is produced every week and covers news articles from the previous week. Come back often, share with your friends, and feel free to add the podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. My goal is to make sure you have a pleasant and engaging listening experience every single time you tune in. So drop me a note on Twitter or Facebook. Just search for Tunuka Media. That is T-U-N-U-K-A Media. Episodes are also hosted on YouTube on the Tunuka Media YouTube channel. Again, that is T-U-N-U-K-A Media. Links to the stories will also be posted in the show notes. Finally, if you come across stories or articles that you think should be featured here, please share them and let us all keep informed. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Our first stop today takes us to Egypt, where construction work on a bridge that is being built a hairline away from residential apartment buildings is raising eyebrows across social media. At the very least, it's making some people laugh, others frustrated, and the rest pretty angry. Now, the bridge is blocked off a row of residential buildings and appears to have made its way directly through some people's apartments. I'll put pictures, of course, as always, in the blog, the website, and on Instagram actually across social media. To put things into perspective, the specific part of the highway bridge shown in the photographs is said to be roughly about 50 centimeters away from the residential buildings. This means that the highway is within arm's reach of most people's balconies. Many people are criticizing the government over corruption and lack of regulations, which some commentators believe has kept the project going. Most of the concerns have honed in on the safety of residents living nearby, as well as a rise in noise and air pollution in an already very densely populated area. The lower floors will now be quite literally left in the dark with many residences and shops having to continue their lives living under the highway bridge. Now, the Prime Minister's advisor has said that a quarter of a billion Egyptian pounds, or about 15 million US dollars, has been allocated to compensate some of the damaged properties. Not everyone will receive compensation though. For example, those that choose not to relocate will not receive any compensation. The bridge can be found on an axis in the Gizar Governorate. It is estimated to cost about 5 billion Egyptian pounds, or 317 million US dollars. According to sources, the Ministry of Housing in Egypt explained that the four buildings that are extremely close to the bridge were actually built illegally. A lot of people have questioned this, not only referencing the problems that I stated previously, but also explaining that the permits to build these residential buildings were acquired back in 2008 and thus cannot be deemed illegal. A decision to demolish these buildings had been issued for the moment that the bridge will be completed, but the possible pushback by the residents and the fact that the bridge will be super close to the buildings might prolong or even halt this process. According to the American Lung Association, 
Living near highways is detrimental to health. No kidding. A major 2010 review found that traffic pollution may cause a wide range of other effects, including onset of childhood asthma, impaired lung function, premature death, and death from cardiovascular diseases. Next, we head over to Iran, where the Navy mistakenly attacked its own naval vehicles. An Iranian missile fired during a live fire training exercise in the Gulf of Mexico struck a support vehicle near its target, killing at least 19 sailors and injuring 15 others, according to the Navy. The friendly fire incident happened on May 10th near the port of Jask, about 790 miles southeast of Tehran. The incident took place during a training in the Gulf of Oman, a sensitive waterway that connects to the Strait of Hormuz, through which about a fifth of the world's oil passes. Iran regularly conducts exercises in the area, so this is nothing new. A warship called the Jamaran, fired at a training target released by a support ship called the Konarak. The Konarak had been putting targets out to water for other ships to fire upon as target practice. State television said that the Konarak had been too close to the intended target and so received damage. The Navy said the ship was towed ashore and that an investigation had begun. However, the Iranian armed forces are no strangers to error. In January, an air defense unit fired two surface-to-air missiles at an unidentified target, bringing down a Ukrainian airliner and killing all those on board. The military later acknowledged that it was a mistake. The Jamaran is part of a new class of home-built vehicles intended to set a new course for Iran's navy. State broadcaster, the Islamic Republic of Iran Broadcasting, or IRIB, posted a footage of the aftermath of the incident on Twitter. It showed significant damage to several structures on the deck of the Konarak and black smoke rising from them. The Iranian media rarely reports on mishaps during their training exercises, so the fact that they reported on this is considered by some analysts to be an indication of how severe the incident is. Next, the 84-year-old Rwandan genocide suspect, Valencien Kabuga, was arrested on Saturday, May 16th, near Paris, after 26 years on the run. He's Rwanda's most wanted man and had a 5 million US dollar bounty on his head. A Hutu businessman, Kabuga was accused of funding militias that massacred 800,000 ethnic Tutsis and moderate Hutus over 100 days in 1994. French authorities say that he was living under a false identity in a flat near the capital. Kabuga was indicted in 97 on several criminal counts in relation to the Rwandan genocide, and he was further indicted on genocide charges by the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda. Rwandan prosecutors have said financial documents found in the capital of Kigali after the genocide indicated that Kabuga used his companies to import vast amount of machetes that were used to slaughter people. The wealthy businessman is also accused of establishing the radio station Mile Colinas that broadcasts vicious propaganda against the ethnic Tutsi, as well as training and equipping the Interharamwe militia that led the killing spree. Kabuga was close to former president Juvenal Habyarimana, whose death when his plane was shut down over Kigali sparked the genocide. Sergei Bramets, 
chief prosecutor for the Mechanism for International Criminal Tribunals, said that the arrest is a reminder that those responsible for genocide can be brought down and brought to account even 26 years after their crimes have been committed. The arrest paves way for bringing the fugitive in front of the Paris Appeal Court and later to the International Court in The Hague. Rwanda's two main ethnic groups are the Hutus and the Tutsis, who have historically had an antagonistic relationship and fought in a war in the early 90s. If I have anyone listening from Rwanda, I would love to hear your perspective on how the relationship between the Hutus and the Tutsis has evolved since the 90s, when the civil war broke out. Your insight would be more than valuable and would help both myself and everyone else listening gain perspective. The oldest time capsule ever discovered in Europe, and arguably the oldest in the world, has been discovered in Lower Silesia, Poland. Several workers carrying out repair work on a former evangelist church in the small town of Zibiste discovered a sealed copper canister, along with books and papers dating back to the 18th century. Excited officials and local historians gathered in the town's council offices to open the time-grizzled capsule. What they discovered exceeded their expectations. Dates on the papers that emerged from the mottled canister confirmed that the time capsule was placed in the upper reaches of the church when it was first built in 1797. This makes the time capsule the oldest ever found in Europe and dates it close to the oldest in the world from 1795 that was discovered in Boston, US. Perhaps more surprising was that the creamy white papers were in pristine condition virtually untouched by the ravages of time. The find included documents relating to the construction of the church, such as the names of the people involved. One of the papers was a charming personal note from two women who donated money for the building of the church. The documents were written in German, as the town was called Mustenberg in 1797 and was part of the Kingdom of Prussia. Alongside the canister, there were documents found that dated to 1902 to 1903. These are in a severely damaged condition and probably date from when the church was renovated. It is likely that the original canister was discovered and local church bosses wanted to add mementos from their own time. They include a newspaper dated 20th August 1902 and evangelical prayer books. The coins in the canister were probably added to help later generations date the capsule in the event that the papers were destroyed. The church in which the capsule was found was built in 1797 on the site of a castle built in the 15th century. It remained unchanged until the Second World War, and after the war, it was used as a school, and now it's used as a sports hall. Deputy Mayor Malgorta Volsik said that the contents of the canister need to undergo conservation work. After that, they will be passed on to a local museum where they will go on display for visitors. Suggestions have been raised that copies of the documents will be placed in a new capsule and placed in the church building so that local residents can find it again a hundred years from now. In France, a French court on Wednesday scrapped all charges against a man who helped refugees and migrants enter the country illegally. This is the final chapter in a groundbreaking case that is defined as so-called the crimes of solidarity. Cedric Heroux, an olive farmer in southern France who helped about 200 migrants cross the border from Italy, was given a four-month suspended sentence in August 2017. 
he had brought the destitute migrants home and set up camp for them. He was also convicted of sel- he was also convicted of sheltering some 50 Eritreans in a disused railway building. Francis Constitutional Council said Heru's actions were not a crime under the principles of fraternity, as enshrined in Francis' motto, liberty, egality, fraternity. The Constitutional Council, whose job it is to evaluate the validity of French laws, ruled that people cannot be prosecuted for crimes of solidarity. Rights body Amnesty International said the ruling by the Appeal Court of Lyon will have implications throughout Europe for the criminalization of acts of solidarity, saying that whilst it's a relief that Cedric Heroux's ordeal is now over, he should never have been charged in the first place. That was our last story. Before I go, I wanted to let you guys know that the Lego Ninjago movie video game is free on Steam until May 22nd. Anyway, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening, and stay tuned for the outro. Thanks for listening. As a reminder, the podcast will be released every week. Also, don't forget to follow Tunoka Media on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Connect to say hi, or even share your stories that are happening in your local area or region. Nothing is too big or small. Thanks again.